Welcome to the Into Security Chats podcast, brought to you by Info Security Magazine, the leading industry magazine and website, and presented by me, Info Security Editorial Director, Eleanor Dalloway. This is the Into Security spin-off podcast that allows me to indulge in deeper meaningfuls with the industry's finest minds. This episode of the Into Security Chats podcast is sponsored by HP Wolf Security. Endpoint security is designed to protect every device in your fleet, wherever it may be. These days, there can be a lot of different places. Find out how HP Wolf Security uses emerging strategies like application isolation, along with a zero trust approach and framework to give you a powerful, manageable, usable solution to your growing and increasingly spread out security challenges. Learn how HP Wolf Security can make a difference across your endpoints at hp.com wolf. Hi everyone and welcome to the first Into Security Chats podcast of the year. My guest today is Brian Honan. On his LinkedIn profile, he's described as internationally recognized expert on cybersecurity and data protection. And I'd add to that by declaring him quite honestly as one of the nicest men in the industry. He's the owner of BH Consulting and founder and CEO of Iris, the or IRISS, the Irish Reporting and Information Security Service, which is Ireland's first CERT. Brian is undoubtedly one of the more prolific industry commentators, and he's acted as a special advisor to Europol's Cybercrime Centre. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Hi, Honor. I'm very well today. Thank you very much. And I'm delighted to be here with you on this podcast. I'm uh, really looking forward to having a, a good chat with you. Oh, you're very welcome. So I like to start each of my chats podcast with a food and drink podcast pairing, an idea that our lovely friend Wendy Nather came up with. So Brian, what do you suggest that our readers indulge in while enjoying this episode of the podcast today? I'll trust Wendy to come up with a, qu- a question like that as to what is my favourite food and drink podcast pairing. Uh that's a tough one to call out because uh, you don't get to my size by uh, disliking food or indeed drink. But I think, you know, being Irish, I'd have to be to give the stereotypical answer. Uh, of course, a pint of Guinness is what I would have to have on a podcast or indeed listening to a podcast. And to eat along with it, well, I think I'll give your listeners an interesting thing to eat. And I know Wendy enjoyed it when she was over in Ireland. It's a potato pancake that we have here in Ireland called Boxty. So that's B-O-X-T-Y. And as I said, Boxty is a pancake that we make out of uh, potatoes here in Ireland. And you can have different types of stuffing in it, be that vegetables, meat, chicken or whatever. And it is very, very tasty and very, very filling. So if you want to uh, relax and enjoy and feel full of uh, well-nourished brain and a well-nourished stomach. Uh, listen to the podcast and have Guinness and Boxty. I mean, it's a very strange concept to me, a potato pancake, but I love pancakes and I love potatoes. So in theory, it should be something I would really enjoy. Yeah, well, just ask 
James, your colleague, who, who James Corker, who came over to the uh, Irish Cert conference last November, and our tradition is to go out for a meal beforehand with speakers and organisers, and we go to a, a, a restaurant that specialises in box tea, and everybody had a great time that night. Uh, very, it's very filling and very tasty. Lovely, very nice. So while I was thinking about what to talk to you about today, Brian, I actually got a little bit confused because I find that you have expertise in so many different parts of this industry you don't sort of fit into one small niche so I wanted to ask you if you had to categorize your expertise into sort of three main categories that you'd say your knowledge is strongest in within cybersecurity, of course I, I don't need to know about your extensive knowledge around <laughs> sick car or rugby or whatever um, but what would you say your three main niches I'm guessing data protection would be in there well, I, I would kind of not really focus on niches as such, you know, and, and to me, and our experience is just another word for people who've made lots of mistakes, uh, you know, and uh, I'm being lucky to be involved in, in cybersecurity uh, for not just years, but for decades. So I've had plenty of opportunities to make lots of mistakes. So uh, hence, we can translate that into experience. But I think the key areas... I. I think I like to think I'm 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 good at. Uh, I I hate to to call myself an expert, but that I'm good at is being able to translate maybe the complexities of cybersecurity into the way business people can better understand it, and therefore are able to action upon what they need to do, and similarly, hopefully translate back into the techies, if you like. Uh, uh, what the, the business requirements are, because I think that's been a big gap we've had in the industry is being um, unable to to match business or organizational goals with uh, cybersecurity or highlighting what the challenges are to business so that they will take care of them. So that, that would be one area. Um, the other area, is, it's uh, where I, I've, I've spent many years and working on it is in the area of ISO 27001. Indeed, I've been working with it since it was way, way back called BS7799. Um, and I've authored several books on the topic. So that would be uh, another area I would like to see that I've, I've, I've got good knowledge in and, and able to, to help people better understand and, and, and apply the standard to, to their own uh, security programs. And then Obviously, with the work I do with, with IRISERT and dealing with, with our own customers whenever they have a breach, is it's the area of instant response management. Uh, so, look, many years ago, I, I would have been the individual sitting at the keyboard and able to analyze logs and, and get all the technical stuff. But uh, there are much more uh, skilled people out there with that knowledge now than me. But I think where my skill lies in is being able to uh, assess the situation and give guidance to the business and to everybody involved as to what they need to do to to manage a breach and and, and an incident and how to uh, uh, cooperate and coordinate with other businesses or uh, law enforcement or, or regulatory agencies as well. So I think that they would be my three areas. I you know. I think. And I like your analogy there around mistakes and experience <laughs> and how they're kind of the same thing. Is there a particular mistake that you've made personally um, that 
really stands out for you or taught you something or changed the path you were on? Everybody make mistakes and it's, you know, you've caught me on the, the hop here. I'm trying to pick, pick one specifically, but I do remember way back in my career working for an organization where we were suffering a DDoS attack and we'd identified several IP addresses. But, and I, I gave the, if you like, the instructions to the team to block those IP addresses. But along the chain, the message got uh, mixed up. And instead of just blocking one, one or two IP addresses, a whole range of IP addresses uh, were blocked and it brought down the whole data center. So that taught me sharply that how good communication skills are necessary within cybersecurity and how you should be able to, to to communicate the issue and take ownership of an issue as well. Um, so, you know, when, when the data center went down, uh, it, we quickly had to assess what it was and then communicate back again to clarify what we needed done. But then we'd also had to communicate out to customers and out to other key stakeholders as to where the issue was. And I think, you know, that taught me, you know, in the heat of the moment and in an instant, you do have to take time. And somebody once told me, we as cybersecurity professionals need to learn from other instant response professions, such as uh, firefighters, police or first aiders, in that when they are faced with a situation, the first thing they do is do nothing. It's assess what the problem is, assess what needs to be done, and then go into action. As opposed to think sometimes when in cybersecurity, when we see an incident happening or, or something happens, everybody starts reacting. And we do need to take the, the time to pause, consider what, what's going on, and then uh, take the appropriate action from there. That's really great advice. And it's actually easier said than done in, in those moments. But it's it's definitely something that is worth remembering. And I do appreciate you coming up with an actual mistake. Sometimes when you ask people questions like that, it's a bit like when you ask someone in an interview, what's your worst quality? And they say, oh, I just I, I care too much or I work too hard. Um, yeah. It's always nice when somebody comes up with a real answer. When somebody says, what do you think your, your key strengths are? And so I'm too honest. And people go, that's not what I'm there. <laughs> exactly. Um, you mentioned a DDoS though then, and that sort of reminded me. When, when InFace Security Magazine website was taken down by a, a very substantial DDoS last summer, you were one of the first people I turned to for advice. And, you know, I'm very grateful for the assistance and advice that you did give us. So, so on that topic of cyber attack disclosure and the messaging, the PR around that, can you give us a little bit of best practice advice and also worst practice examples? Yeah, well, I, I never use the phrase best practice, Eleanor, because best practice, if, if everybody follows best practice, well, then we're just being average. A better phrase would be to use good practice. And in today's modern environment, we do have to remind ourselves that every company that suffers a cyber attack, be that ransomware or a DDoS attack or even a website defacement or whatever it may be, they are a victim of a crime. And we need to mature ourselves as an industry and move away from the victim blaming that we that often happens in that we we blame the victim for the breach. Oh my God, how could they have suffered a DDoS attack? Why didn't they do X, Y, and Z? Or or how did they get their website defaced? Why hadn't they got that uh, vulnerability patched? 
or you know they've got hit by ransomware why did the, were their users able to click on an attachment in email and, and cause that to happen now these are all valid questions but at the end of the day you still don't blame a victim of a crime uh, for being responsible for the crime the people responsible for it are the cyber attackers so with that in mind i think businesses need to be more if you like braver or upfront about instances they may suffer and, and cyber attacks because you know in the real world if you know in, in my neighborhood if if one of our neighbors maybe six doors down says oh you know we, we we had somebody break into our house last night because we left the back door open. Uh, I guarantee you, everybody in the neighbourhood is suddenly going to be locking back doors or maybe buying alarms and and keeping a lookout for suspicious behaviour in the neighbourhood. And that's what we need to do as organisations. And yes, we are online, and uh, you know, uh, just because I'm located in Dublin doesn't mean I'm not a neighbour of a company in London or in Brazil or or elsewhere, uh, and that being transparent, we can enable other organizations to learn from uh, uh, the breach. And I think a good example of that is the health service executive here in Ireland. Uh, last May, you may recall, and uh, the whole health service for all of Ireland was taken down by Conti uh, ransomware gang and every device in or many of the devices in the health service were ransomed and we had to resort to doctors and medical uh, professionals going back to pen and paper to to look after patients which is not something you want to be doing in the middle of a pandemic but throughout the incident like the the attack happened on the Thursday night Friday morning the CEO of uh, of the, the Irish health service was on news news stations and TV and radio communication out to everybody exactly what was going on there was no uh, you know talking about a sophisticated cyber attack and you know we can't discuss what's going on because of ongoing investigations they were quite open it was a ransomware attack this is what the impact is this is what we're trying to do to to fix it and that was continuous throughout the the, the crisis and even uh, last autumn <clears throat> uh, the HSC engaged with a, a consulting firm to analyze the attack and to produce a report of, if you like, a an analysis of what happened and how did the attack happen. And the HSC have published that report up on their website for many organizations to, to freely have a look at and learn, if you like, from uh, the issues or the mistakes that, that the HSE had, uh, had put in place. And I think that's where, I, what, you know, as a community, we, we, we need to be better at communicating our mistakes so that we can learn. I often compare what we should be doing to that of the airline industry. Anytime there's a, an airline accident, there's a thorough investigation carried out. So what happened? Uh, what was the root cause? That is communicated out to everybody, every airline, everybody in the industry so that they can make sure that root cause has, is, is not applicable in their uh, situation and remediations can be put in place. So we need to get something similar in cybersecurity, some sort of way that we can be open and transparent and that people, you know, organisations don't feel they're being blamed. If I remember rightly, Brian, as well, that the HSE sort of came out quite early and stated that they were not going to pay the ransom, um, which I believe is something that you sort of publicly applauded at the time. I am. This is, was almost a year ago, but am I right in that recollection? 
Absolutely, yes. I fully understand the difficulties organisations face uh, because we have and dealt with quite a few ransomware attacks. So we know the the angst and the, the pressure and the stress a major cyber attack, particularly a ransomware attack, can put on a business owner or senior management in an organisation. The pressure they're under to try and get their systems back up and running. Uh, so if if you're faced with paying money to get your systems back up and running quickly, uh, the temptation is to pay the ransom. But I have to say, I I would strongly advise against paying the ransom. And I've debated this with quite a few people online and on, on, on podcasts, etc. Because, well, well, firstly, criminals are getting what they want. They want you to pay the ransom. And if you pay the ransom, you've just made yourself and identified yourself as potentially an easy mark and somebody that would pay up again for a future attack. So, you you know, studies show ransomware victims who pay su- subsequently become victims again because you're known to be somebody who, who, who will pay up. You are given the criminals money that they can then use to improve their attack methods. And, and we're starting to see that we, we saw with uh, the Kaseya attack, how the criminals use a zero day to, to break into Kaseya and spread their, their, their ransomware through Kaseya's own, own, own application. And, you know, as they become better funded, these attackers are going to be more difficult to defend against. So it causes issues that way. There also is no guarantee you're going to get your data back. Just because you pay the ransom doesn't mean the criminals are going to honour their promise to give you your data back or to give you the keys to unlock your data. You are dealing with criminals um, and, you know, criminals by their very nature are not known to be the most honest or trustworthy individuals. So it's it's a thing to bear in mind, you know, that you're not guaranteed to, to get your keys back even if you pay. And then finally, there is no guarantee if you pay and if you get the keys back that the decryption keys are going to work as effectively as you hoped. It's it's not as if uh, the decryption key is like some uh, magic pixie ver- fairy dust that you sprinkle over your servers and, and your, your 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 computers and everything's restored to what it was seconds before the ransomware hit. You still have to go through a very prolonged period of time in, in uh, forensically investigating every impacted machine, making sure there is no uh, ex- the vulnerabilities uh, as to how the attackers got in aren't there. There's no malware on the machine. There's no backdoors. In some cases, that might mean scrapping the device or restoring uh, or, or rebuilding the device from scratch. So even having the ransomware key doesn't mean it's it's like turning on a light switch and everything's back to normal. And I think if you look at the Colonial Pipeline attack last May, they paid $4.4 million for the uh, decryption key and ended up not using that decryption key because it was taken so slow to recover their data that restoring from their backups was much much more effective and, and they stuck with do, doing, doing their backups. So for all of those reasons, I'd recommend don't pay the ransom. Yeah, that should have been a lesson to the industry for sure. Um, I wanted to jump back to the point you made right at the beginning there about sort of victim blaming. We've actually just run a point counterpoint, or we're about to, in this ish print issue of Info Security Magazine on whether or not 
we should be blaming the users. And Wendy Nather argues very strongly that, as I'm sure you'd be able to guess, that we should not. And Ira Rinkler um, takes on Wendy and sort of argues the case. That actually, there are there are times when we should blame users and we should be making examples out of them. So um, that's definitely one to watch. But it sounds yeah. like you very much fall into the Wendy Nather camp there of not blaming the, the user. Well, the, the, I would agree with Wendy, but also agree with Ira. So I think maybe we need to make two distinctions here, Anna. First of all, victim blaming companies for being breached is 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 something I I would steer away. And yes, let them be held accountable for any mistakes or any inadequacies they had. But that is subsequent to the breach, you know. So. Uh, uh, you know, let's not be putting the blame uh, on, on the victim. When it comes to blaming users, um, I'd have to agree with, with Wendy. And I think even this week we saw a very bad example of it, where as an employee within Volkswagen uh, was allegedly, uh, now there's still some more data to follow out the, from this, but allegedly uh, was fired for raising cybersecurity issues with management. Um, now Volkswagen have come up with a statement and said no, there were other issues, but the story is reading that this individual reported uh, concerns over cybersecurity issues and was subsequently fired. Now, what headline? What, what message does that headline send out to every other Volkswagen employee in the company? Uh, to me, it sends out a message saying that if you discover a cybersecurity issue, say nothing because you're going to get fired. But we also have to be be aware that we employ people and humans make mistakes. So, you, you know, you have to have allowances for people making mistakes. But if there are repeated mistakes and the same individual is doing the same things over and over again, well, then you have to look at that and see, A, is your training appropriate? Uh, you know, why is that person to do the key failing? Uh, you know, is, is that your uh, your training not being well enough? The mentoring's not being well enough? The, are you, your systems aren't robust enough to, to protect that individual? Uh, or ultimately, is that individual not suitable for that role and you need to move them somewhere else? So I think you can address user mistakes by not necessarily making examples of them as per IRA says, but I don't think you can give people a get out of jail card free either if they become serious repeat offenders. You know, uh, there are ways you can address lapses of judgment or people clicking on links. You know, if you, if you run a proper simulated phishing campaigns that are not there to catch people out, but, but are there to test the security of your email protections and to test the, how effective your awareness training is. To me, that is what you know, you should be doing is, is trying to coach and mentor and and encourage people to behave appropriately and and keep things secure. You also need to to, to encourage them to report suspicious activity or suspicious issues. But also, uh, we need to build our systems to be more robust and more secure, so that ultimately, you know, if 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 your company can be brought down by ransomware because one user in one department clicks on one link in one email, then you you have to ask your, your you know, I don't think the problem is with the user. I think the problem is with your IT and your security program uh, rather than just being with the, with the user. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. When, when we were first talking before we hit record today, you were telling me about the huge growth of BH Consulting actually and how you are a much larger team these days. So my question is, 
if you were to get a phone call one day in the office inquiring about your services and obviously being impressed enough to hire you, who would that dream client be? Who, who would you want that phone call to come in from? Oh, good question. Uh, I could pick some of my favorite rock stars or whatever. <laughs> you know, you two to, to be the uh, Our favorite clients are those clients who really do care about cybersecurity and get it uh, because that makes it much easier for us to to work with them and 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 make them more secure uh, so like we, we don't have a necessarily a favorite type of client you know our clients range from small startups uh, some of those startups we've been partner with them for years and they've now grown into their own multinational companies. We have partner, you know, we we work with large organizations. We've worked with multinational organizations. We've clients, you know, even though we're based here in Dublin in, in Ireland, we've clients throughout the uh, North America, in Canada, United States. We've clients in, in obviously in Ireland, uh, UK, throughout Europe, Middle East, Australia. We've clients in Japan and Singapore. So, you know, we, we have a global reach uh, in our client base. We were across different sectors, government, uh, hospitality, uh, healthcare, finance, technology. So there's no one, we don't have one particular client. I suppose tongue in cheek and uh, those that pay their invoices on time are... are <laughs> I mean, that's a great answer, Brian. But obviously, Bono, if you're listening, pick up the phone <laughs> and give Brian a call. <laughs> He'd love to hear from you. <laughs> How do you juggle your work at BH Consulting with your work at IRISS, your work for Europol, I'm not sure if you're still doing that, and your multiple advisory board roles, not to mention all of the tweeting you do. How do you fit it all into a working day, Brian? Well, I suppose just to clarify, Anna, um, I, I'm no longer, uh, sadly, uh, an advisor for Europol. I'd, I'd served the uh, prescribed amount of time you're allowed to be an advisor, so I had to we, we had to move on. Uh, but that was a great experience. The answer is, I don't know. Uh, to be quite honest, my my mother has always said uh, that if if you want to get something done, give it to somebody who's busy. Uh, because busy people seem to be able to juggle many balls and get, and get, get things done. But I think I'm, I'm very lucky in that here in BH Consulting, I have a fantastic team uh, supporting me. Um, you know, as I said, we're, we're up to 29 people. And I, I, I also like to, if, if I could take a little boast here as well, we're, we have more women employed in the company than we do men. So across all the areas in cybersecurity, our data protection teams and, and all, I think we're at 55, 57%. You've got talent like that to support you. And, and we've got great people working on the team. That makes my job that bit easier. The CERT work is is, is voluntary. So I tend to do that in evening time or, or, or whenever I get, get, get some time. And, you know, you just find ways to, to fit, fit things in. But you also have to learn to how to say no. Uh, there's, there's, there's lots of... Other things I'd like to be doing or projects to get involved in. So sometimes you, you, you do have to uh, uh, step back and see, you know, can I really deliver this to the quality I want to do it? Uh, do I have the time to do it? And unfortunately, sometimes you have to say no or you have to postpone those things. But, yeah, you just have to try and learn to to, to fit everything in as best you can. Yeah, learning to say no is actually 
quite difficult, isn't it? It's quite a good skill to be able to actually analyse your own capacity and know when to to say yes and when to say no. So that's a good answer. Being no is upsetting the person asking you as well is a, is a key skill too. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is my last sort of serious question, right, before we move into the, the more lighthearted stuff. And um, it's going to sound like I'm trying to butter you up for something here. And I'm not. Because you're already <laughs> on the podcast. Although having said that, I do have an online summit speaking invite for you. But I consider um, I consider you the sort of the pinnacle of how the industry should strive to act in regards to supporting each other, supporting the community, the industry, and having respect for each other. And I do think you sort of embody that respect in security mission. But what do you see that concerns you about the culture or the behaviours of the industry in regards to how people treat each other in the sense that we have needed to launch this respect and security? It's a great question, Anna, and I'm really glad you asked that question because, look, I'm lucky. I've been... I've been in this industry for, for, as I said, for decades. So, um, uh, you know, I actually don't have a a computer degree or anything. So if I was to apply today for a job in cybersecurity, I wouldn't get it uh, because I I, I, I fail all the the requirements there. But I think, you know, so as an industry, we need to, to recognize that we don't just need techie people in the industry. You know, just because you've got multiple degrees coming out of your ears doesn't mean you're any better than somebody who doesn't. It's it's been able to uh, analyze and apply skills uh, and deliver our key to, to a good cybersecurity professional. I do think we have an inherent problem in our industry in that it's still very male oriented. It's still very, you know, so as a, as a, as a middle-aged white male, I'm, 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 I'm fine in the industry, you know, like, uh, but I still often feel intimidated. Uh, there are times I've gone, well, obviously before pandemic, but you go to a conference and there seems that there can often be this macho, uh, you know, we are we are the the best and kind of bro culture uh, that is predominant in the environment. And if you don't fit the, the the atypical hacker stereotype, and that you've you, you know you you you've got uh, CVEs to your name, or you're able to talk code backwards and upside down and, and stuff like that, that you're not you're not good enough. Um, and and there's a very can be a very aggressive male attitude uh, expressed. And as as I said, I've often felt sometimes at conferences that, okay, this bunch of people here, I'm moving on from you because you are, you're not nice, basically. So, you know, I appreciate this is your podcast. I won't use any bad language. (laughs) Uh, You know, we do have a male paint strain throughout through the industry that we, you know, to be in cybersecurity, you have to be the best of the best. It's 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 often, if you watch any of the uh, American movies, military movies, you know, like we're, we're like the special forces, and therefore we're special and kind of looked down. And we need to get over ourselves. Now everybody has IT skills to to certain degrees uh, or to certain levels. So uh, we need to get over ourselves and you know sort of say you know 
just because we're in IT doesn't mean we're special. And just because we're in cybersecurity doesn't mean we're any, we're any more special than those in IT. Our jobs at the end of the day, you know, if you take penetration testing and uh, vulnerability testing, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to upset a lot of people when I say this, but at the end of the day, you're just doing quality assurance from a security point of view. Just because you found a bug in, and it's a security bug doesn't mean you're any more special than the person who found a, a usability bug or a uh, you a, a, a design bug or, or whatever else. We are security people. We Our job is to keep things safe. So, you know, I think we need to get away from this special forces macho uh, approach and welcome more people into the industry and uh, embrace the knowledge and the skills and the experience that they bring and that we need to learn of and that we can transfer and 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 make ourselves much more stronger you know we're we're not going to fight cyber crime or beat cybersecurity issues individually we can only work together and i think you know to throw a, a probably very bad analogy out there, it's it's like the pandemic we're trying to come out of at the moment. If each country and each individual just stuck to themselves, we would we would never get out of this pandemic. We have to work together to apply the vaccines, wear masks, follow all the health guidelines, share with other countries, so that we, as a human race, if you like, or we all can come out of this pandemic safer uh, than if, if we all stick, stick to it individually. And that's what we need to do in cybersecurity as well. We need to be better able to work together. It's a really powerful message because it's one thing hearing from people about the fact that sometimes they feel left out in the industry when they belong to those sort of more diverse groups and they're less represented in the industry. But when you hear, like you said, you're a white man working in info security, when you hear that same message that sometimes you feel out of place or you feel like you don't belong, then that message, you know, that somehow becomes more powerful because as an industry, we're making, or the Royal Wheat, we're making even the most represented people feel like that. And that really is like at a time where our skills gap is so big, it's unforgivable, I think. Yeah, I think the phrase I'd use is there, there are actually times I felt intimidated, you know, what would you know about security? You don't know anything about coding or anything like that, you know, and I'll often turn back and say, well, I used to code 30, 40 years ago, but not anymore. Just because I don't do anything now doesn't mean, you know, uh, you know, obviously I couldn't code now because I, I don't know a lot of the languages now. But the point being is, is I actually have felt intimidated by individuals who kind of go, yeah, sure. Why would you, what, would, what do you know about cybersecurity? You're, you're a compliance geek or a risk geek or a business security person. That's not proper cybersecurity. And yes, as I said, we, we have people out there with those attitudes who think they are better than others. And look, folks, you're not. Get over it. <laughs> yeah. Um, if, if I had a headline for each podcast, I think I would definitely use we need to get over ourselves because um, I do. fantastic. <laughs> OK, right. Some, some sillier stuff, Brian. Um, if you could make one thing illegal <laughs> not legal illegal um what would it be bmw drivers not using their indicators <laughs> I, I honestly believe bmw drivers must be convinced it's a huge optional extra to to have their that they must be charged per per blink of their indicator lights uh, if they use them you know so i would make it illegal for bmw drivers uh, not to use their indicators 
That's such a niche answer, but also you have no idea what I'm going to ask you today. So the fact that you had that accessible so quickly as an answer is brilliant. Um, <laughs> okay, fair play. Luckily, I'm not a BMW driver, so um, I accept that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that could have been a very risky one for me. <laughs> I know, right? What would your, I, I mean, I said at the beginning that I only wanted to know about your specialisms in terms of cybersecurity, but if you were to go on Mastermind, what would your specialist subject be? Oh, uh, crap 80s music. My, <laughs> my, my kids are always given out to me. We, 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 we have a TV program here in Ireland called Reeling in the Years, and it's a half an hour program that's that focuses on a different year in, in different decades so like for example 1977 or 1980 or 88 or whatever and it'll go through all the main news stories for that year but also play all the hits from from that year as well uh so i'm i'm constantly driving them crazy by badly singing along with the songs so uh that would be my uh mastermind special favorite favorite 80s artist then as an extension to that oh that would be you too Art, very good very good um okay what's your least favorite food like a food item that gives you the, the heebie-jeebies oh I, i'm i'm allergic to fish only certain types of fish but that has made me wary of all types of fish so uh yeah uh, you won't find me going to a sushi bar or to a fish restaurant <laughs> you're fishist now <laughs> <laughs> yes i am <laughs> Okay, penultimate question. If they made a movie about you, Brian, and what a wonderful movie it would be, who would, A, who would you want to play the lead role? And B, who do you think is a more realistic option for the lead role? <laughs> now, if they made a movie about me, who would I want to play the re lead role? Uh, and who do I think is the more realistic, realistic option? Well, that's a very tricky question to answer because obviously somebody as suave, sophisticated, handsome and I suppose all around brilliant person that I am, the person that would have to play me would be, of course, Mr. Bean. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, the way we bumble through security sometimes uh, often uh, makes us uh, be a more Mr. Bean character than, than anything else. But uh, again, I suppose Conan on the Irish background, if we wanted somebody to play me, uh, it would have to be, of course, Mr. Liam Neeson, because um, we all love the piece in the movie Taken about how uh, he's a certain set of skills. And uh, I, we all have our own different types of cyber skills. So uh, uh, I think Liam Neeson would be my preferred one. But obviously, as I think the re realistic one will be Mr. Bean. Uh, love it. Absolutely love it. Um, okay. And finally, it's the desert island disc question. So if you were stranded on a desert island for a whole year all by yourself and you could only have one book with you, one song to play and one luxury item, what would you choose? Song would be worn by you too. Book, that is a much more difficult one because there's so many good books out there. That's, that's a tough one, aren't it? Uh, that's a hat trick for o2 in this podcast is bono slipping you a fiver every time you mention them i could say my own book iso 27001 in a winner's environment but I'd, I'd rather wait for that to come out on dvd uh, <laughs> with liam neeson <laughs> with liam neeson as the, as the harassed uh cso trying to get all this all this stuff done uh there's there's actually a 
very in a book that I enjoy very well because I love history. You know, I'm currently trying to go through my family tree and uh, I've managed to trace back, back to, from my father's side right back to 1810. But there's, there's a book that was published here in Ireland called Old Ireland in Colour. And it's where the author has taken old, old black and white photographs of different things in Ireland, uh, range from the 1800s right through up until more modern times, but has taken those black and white photographs and colorized them and then put in the details and the story around it. So I, I enjoy it's a type of book I keep picking up every now and then, having a look at it enjoying what I see and putting it aside and then coming back and having a look at it again. So it's it's a book that I wouldn't get bored with over a year. You know, there's, there's only so many times you can read a uh, a Jack Reacher novel or a, Harry, or a Harry Potter or, you know, there's only so many times you can read those books. But something like The Old Ireland in Colour would be something I would uh, uh, be able to dip in and out of uh, quite a lot during the year. Yeah, that could keep you company nicely. Yeah, and then you said the luxury item uh that would have to be a pillow so i can have a good night's sleep that's a really popular answer is it (laughs) yeah it's a really popular answer yeah there's nobody able to contact me or things i do would be very limited so but i'd be able to catch up on all my sleep so yeah a pillow would be very welcome (laughs) very wise very wise well you you survived brian um we are (laughs) Sadly out of time, but it's been so lovely having you on my podcast today, and I really do appreciate your time. So thank you so much. You're very welcome, Anna. Thank you for having me on. And I will be in touch about that speaker request. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to it. I'd like to say a huge thank you to HP Wolf Security for sponsoring the January episode of Into Security Chats. Endpoint security is designed to protect every device in your fleet, wherever it may be. These days, that can be a lot of different places. Find out how HP Wolf Security uses emerging strategies like application isolation, along with a zero trust approach and framework to give you a powerful, manageable, usable solution to your growing and increasingly spread out security challenges. Learn how HP Wolf Security can make a difference across your endpoints at hp.com slash wolf. Thank you for listening to this episode of Into Security Chats. I've been Eleanor Dalloway, and it has been a pleasure to have you listening in. Join the conversation next month as I get to know my next guest. 